Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today I am super, super bored and it's the first day of summer, literally, and it's raining outside and all my friends moved away from the neighborhood. There's nothing to do. So, I'm going to talk about my pod... I'm going to talk on my podcast. Um, so, uh... Um, what should we do today? Hmm. Oh, of course. There is no reason why I should not do this. There is no reason that says that I... Um, uh, there are a billion reasons why I should... Okay, so today we're going to be doing a Harry Potter book review on the first book. So let me just grab my Kindle, because I haven't been able to find my copy of that lately. Alright, here it is. So, I have my Kindle here. Great device. Hundreds of books. Ooh, there's a new episode of Rush's show. Oh, well, no, you probably went with Connor. Alright, let's get into my Kindle. Uh, Go check that episode out of um, Rush's show, just because I mentioned it. Okay, Harry Potter, Prime Reading, and the Sorcerer's Stone. Let's get into it. Opening. Okay. Oh, you're a prefect, Percy. Um, just a second. No. Um, alright. Just a second. Oh, I made it pretty far. Yup. Back to chapter one. Alright. So, Harry Potter. A very good novel. Um, there was actually a app, a fan club, made... Um, for Harry Potter. I have it right here. I've just pulled it up. The Horcrux word search is the latest thing on here. Almost there's so many things to do on this app. For example, finding your house, getting your Patronus, and taking a quiz to find your wand. All of those are quizzes. Okay. Um, let us... Let me rate... No, actually... First, let's give you the preview. Alright, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling. Harry Potter fan club, get closer to the magic, everyone's welcome to join and enjoy a whole host of magical benefits for free. Take part in the official Hogwarts sorting ceremony. Yeah, there's a bunch of crap about the Harry Potter fan club app. Yeah, it's a really good app. Okay, contents. Chapter 1, The Boy Who Lived. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal, thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Mr. Dursley was the director of a firm called Grunnings, which made drills. He was a big, beefy man with hardly any neck, although he did have a very large moustache. 
Mrs. Dursley was thin and blonde and had nearly twice the usual amount of neck, which came in very useful as she spent most of her time craning over garden fences spying on the neighbours. The Dursleys had a small son called Dudley, and in their opinion there was no finer boy anywhere. The Dursley had the Dursleys had everything they wanted, but they also had a secret. Their greatest fear was that somebody would discover it. They didn't think they could bear it if anybody found out about the Potters. Mrs. Potter was Mrs. Dursley's sister, but they hadn't met it several years, in fact. Mrs. Dursley pretended she didn't have a sister because her sister and her good-for-nothing husband were as un-Dursley as, she was, as it was possible to be. Um, where am I? Um, the Dursleys shuddered to think what the neighbors would say if the Potters arrived in the street. The Dursleys knew that the Potters had a small son too, but they had never ever seen him. This boy was another good reason for keeping the Potters away. They didn't want Dudley mi- mixing with a child like that. When Mr. and Mrs. Dursley woke up on a dull grey Tuesday, on the dull grey Tuesday, our story starts. So there was nothing about the cloudy sky outside to suggest that strange and mysterious things would be happening all over the country soon. Mr. Dursley hummed as he picked out his most boring tie for work, and Mrs. Dursley gossiped away happily as she wrestled a screaming Dudley into his high chair. None of them noticed the large, tawny owl flutter past the window. At half past eight, Mr. Dursley picked up his briefcase, pecked Mrs. Dursley on the cheek, and tried to kiss Dudley goodbye, but missed because Dudley was now having a tantrum and throwing his cereal at the walls. Little tyke! chortled Mr. Dursley as he left the house. He got into his car and backed out of Number Four's drive. It was on the corner of the street that he noticed the first sign of something peculiar, a cat reading a map. For a second, Mr. Dursley didn't realize what he'd seen, then he jerked his head back around to look again. There was a tabby cat standing on the corner of Privet Drive, but there wasn't a map in sight. What could he have been thinking of? Must have been the trick of the, a trick of the light. Mr. Dursley blink, blinked and stared at the cat. It stared back. As Mr. Dursley drove around the corner and up the road, he watched the cat in his mirror. He was now reading the sign that said Privet Drive. No, looking at the sign. Cats couldn't read maps or signs. Mr. Dursley gave himself a little shake and put the cat out of his mind. As he drove toward town, he thought of nothing except a large order of drills he was hoping to get that day. But on the edge of town, Jules was driven out of, his, out of his mind by something else. As he sat in the usual morning traffic jam, he couldn't help noticing that there seemed to be a lot of strangely dressed people about, people in cloaks. Mr. Dursley couldn't bear the people who dressed in funny clothes, the get-ups you saw in young people. He supposed this was some stupid new fashion. He drummed his fingers on the steering wheel, and his eyes fell on a huddle of these weirdos standing close by. They were whispering excitedly together. Mr. Dursley was enraged to see that a couple of them weren't young at all. Why, that man had to be older than he was and wearing an emerald green cloak. The nerve of him. But then it struck Mr. Dursley that this was probably some silly stunt. These people were obviously collecting for something. Yes, that would have been it. The traffic moved on and a few minutes later Mr. Dursley arrived in the Grunnings parking lot his mind back on drills. Mr. Dursley always sat with his back to the window in his office on the ninth floor. If he hadn't, he might have found it hard to concentrate on drills this morning. That morning, 
He didn't see the owls swooping past in broad daylight, though people down in the street did. They pointed and gazed open-mouthed after owl, as owl after owl sped overhead. Most of them had never seen an owl even at night time. Mr. Dursley, however, had a perfectly normal owl-free morning. He yelled at five different people, made several important phone calls, and shouted a bit more. He was in a very good mood until lunchtime, when he thought he'd stretch his legs and walk across the road to buy himself a bun from the bakery. He'd he'd forgotten about all the people in the cloaks until he passed a group of them next to the bakers. He eyed them angrily as he passed. He didn't know why, but they made him uneasy. This bunch were whispering excitedly too, and he couldn't see a single collecting tin. He was on his way back past them, clutching a large donut in a bag that he caught a few words they were saying. The Potters, that's right, that's what I heard. Yes, the son, Harry. Mr. Dursley stopped dead. Fear flooded him. He looked back at the whispers as if he wanted to say something to them, but thought better of it. He dashed back across the road, hurried up into his office, snapped at his secretary not to disturb him, seized his telephone, and had it almost finished dialing his home number when he changed his mind. He put the receiver back down and stroked his mustache, thinking, no, he was being stupid. Potter wasn't such an unusual name. He was sure there were lots of people who had called Potter, who had a son called Harry. Come to think of it, he wasn't even sure his nephew was called Harry. Never seen the boy. Might have been Harvey or Harold. There was no point in worrying Mrs. Dursley. She always got upset at any mention of her sister. He didn't blame her. He'd had a sister like that. But all the same, those people in the cloaks. All right, it's break time. Mm, I need some water. Uh, thank you for listening. I will see you in the next part. Goodbye. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back after that commercial break or whatever happens. I might not have an ad in there. I'm not sure. The ad thing is weird. Uh, all right. Let's get back into Harry Potter. I found it a lot harder to concentrate on Drew that afternoon, and when he left the building at five o'clock, he was still so worried that he walked straight into someone just outside the door. Sorry, he grunted, as the tiny old man stumbled and almost fell. It was a few seconds before Mr. Dursley realised that the man was wearing a violet cloak. He didn't seem at all upset at being knocked to the ground. On the contrary, his face split into a wide smile, and he said in a squeaky voice, the maid passed by stare. Don't be sorry, my dear sir, for nothing could upset me today. Rejoice, for you know who is gone at last. Even muckles like yourself should be celebrating this happy, happy day. And the older man hugged Mr. Dursley around the middle and walked off. He stood rooted to the spot. He had been hugged by a complete stranger. He also thought he had been called a muggle, wherever that was. He was rattled. He hurried to his car and set off for home, hoping hoping he was imagining things which he had never hoped before because he didn't approve of imagination. As he pulled into the driveway of number four, the first thing he saw, and it didn't improve his mood, was the tabby cat he'd spotted that morning. 
is now sitting on its golden wall. For sure it was the same one. It had the same markings around it, uh, its eyes. Shoo! Mr. Dursley loudly. <laughs> Mr. Dursley loudly. The cat didn't move. It just gave him the stern look. Was this normal cat behaviour, Mr. Dursley wondered. Trying to pull himself together, he led himself into the house. Still determined not to mention anything to his wife. Mrs. Dursley had a nice, normal day. She told him over dinner all about Mrs. Next Door's problems with the daughter and how Miss and how Dudley learned a new word. Won't! Mr. Dursley tried to act normally. When Dudley had been put to bed, he went into the living room in time to catch the last report on the evening news. And finally, birdwatchers everywhere have reported that the nation's owls have been behaving very unusually today. Although owls normally hunt at night and are hardly ever seen in daylight, there have been hundreds of sightings of these birds flying in every direction since sunrise. Experts are unable to explain why the owls have suddenly changed their sleeping pattern. The newscaster allowed himself a grin. The newscaster allowed himself a grin. Most mysterious. And now over to Jim McGuffin with the weather. Going to be any more showers of owls tonight, Jim? Well, Ted, said the weatherman, I don't know exactly know about that. It's not only the owls that have been acting oddly today. Viewers apart far as far, as far apart as Kent, Yorkshire and Dundee have been phoning in to tell me that instead of the rain I promised yesterday, They've had a downpour of shooting stars. Perhaps some people have been celebrating bonfire night early. It's not until next week, folks. I can promise a wet night tonight. Mr. Dursley sat frozen to his armchair. Shooting stars all over Britain. Owls flying by daylight. Mysterious people in cloaks all over the place. And a whisper. A whisper about the butter. Mrs. Dursley came into the living room carrying two cups of tea. It was no good. He'd have to say something to her. He cleared his throat nervously. Er, uh, Petunia, dear. You haven't heard from your sister lately, have you? As he had expected, Mrs. Dursley looked shocked and angry. After all, they normally pretended she didn't have a sister. No, she said sharply. Why? Funny stuff on the news, Mr. Dursley mumbled. Owls shooting stars, and there were a lot of funny folk in town today. So, snapped Mrs. Dursley. Well, I was, I just thought maybe it was some, it was something to do with, you know, her, her crowd. Mrs. Dursley sipped her tea through pursed lips. Mr. Dursley wondered whether he dared tell her. He heard the name, Porter. He decided he didn't dare. Said he said as casually as he could. Their son would be about Dudley's age now, wouldn't he? I suppose so, Mrs. Dursley said stiffly. What's his name again? Howard, isn't it? Harry, nasty common name if you ask me. Oh yes, said Mr. Dursley, his heart sinking horribly. Yes, I quite agree. Didn't say another word on the subject as they went upstairs to bed. 
When Mrs. Dursley was in the bathroom, Mr. Dursley crept to the bedroom window and peered down into the front garden. The cat was still there. was staring down Private Driver, as though it was waiting for something. Was he imagining things? Could this all have anything to do with the bottles? If it did, if it got out that they were related to a parasite, well, he didn't think he could bear it. Dursley's gone to bed. Mrs. Dursley fell asleep quickly. Mr. Dursley lay awake, turning it all over in his mind. His last comforting thought before he fell asleep was that even if the parties were involved, there was no reason for him to come near him and Mrs. Dursley. The Potters knew very well what he and Petunia thought about them and their kind. He didn't see how he and Petunia could get mixed up in anything that might be going on. He hadn't turned over. It couldn't affect them. How very wrong he was. Mr. Dursley might have been drifting into an uneasy sleep, but the cart on the wall outside was showing no sign of sleepiness. It was sitting still as a statue, its eyes fixed unblinkingly on the far corner of Bird Drive. It didn't so much quiver when a car door slammed on the next street, nor when two owls swooped overhead. In fact, it was nearly midnight before the cat moved at all. A man appeared on the corner the cat had been watching, appeared so suddenly and silently you'd have thought he'd just popped out of the ground. The cat's tail twitched, its eyes narrowed. Nothing like this man had ever been seen on Bird Drive. He was tall, thin, and very old, judging by the silver of his hair and beard, which were both long enough to tuck into his belt. He was wearing long robes, a purple coat that swept the ground, and high-heeled buckled boots. His blue eyes were light, bright and sparkling, behind half-mood spectacles. His nose very long and crooked, as though it had broke, been broken at least twice. This man's name was Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore didn't seem to realize that he had just arrived on the street where everything from his name to his boots was unwelcome. He was busy rummaging in his cloak, looking for something, but he did seem to realize he was being watched because he looked up suddenly at the cat which was staring at him from the other end of the street. For some reason, the sight of the cat trap seemed to amuse him. Chuckled and muttered, I should have known. He found what he was looking for in his inside pocket. It seemed to be a silver cigarette lighter. He flicked it open, held it up in the air, and clicked it. The nearest street lamp went out with a little pop. He licked it again. The next lamp flickered into darkness. Twelve times he clicked the put outer, until only the lights left on the only lights left on the whole street two tiny pinpricks in the distance, which were the eyes of the cat watching him. Excuse me. <coughs> Where was I? If anyone looked out of their window now, even beady-eyed Mrs. Dursley, they wouldn't be able to see anything that was happening down on the pavement. Mr. Dumbledore slipped the put-outer back inside, his cloak and set out down the street toward number four, where he sat on the wall next to the cat. He didn't look at it, but 
after a moment, spoke to it. Fancy seeing you here, Professor McGonagall. He turned to smile at the tally, but it had gone. Instead, he was smiling, a rather, rather severe-looking woman who was wearing the square glasses exactly the shape of the markings the cat had had around its eyes. She, too, was wearing an, a cloak, an emerald one. Her black hair was drawn into a tight bun, and she looked distinctly ruffled. How did you know it was me? she asked. My dear professor, I've never seen a cat sit so stiffly. You'd be stiff if you'd been sitting on a brick wall all day, said Professor McGonagall. All day? When you could have been celebrating? I must have passed a dozen feasts and parties on my way here. Professor McGonagall sniffed angrily. Oh yes, everyone's celebrating all right, she said impatiently. You'd think they'd be a bit more careful, but no. Even the muggles have noticed something going on. It was on their news. She jerked her head back at the Dursley dark living room window. I heard it. Flocks of owls shooting stars. Well, they're not completely stupid. They were bound to notice something. Shooting stars down in Kent. But that was Dedalus Diggle. He never had much sense. You can't blame them, said Dumbledore gently. We've had precious little to celebrate for eleven years. I know that, Miss, said Professor McGonagall irritably. But there's no reason to lose our heads. People are being downright careless. On the streets in broad daylight, not even dressed in muggle clothes, swapping rumors. She threw a sharp sideways glance at Dumbledore here, as though hoping he was going to tell her something, but he didn't. She went on. A fine thing it would be if I'm. From the very day, you know who seems to have disappeared at last. The muggles found out about us all. I suppose he really has gone, Dumbledore. Certainly seems so, said Dumbledore. We have much to be thankful for. Would you care for a lemon drop? A what? A lemon drop, the kind of muggle sweet I'm rather fond of. No, thank you, said Professor McGonagall coldly as though she didn't think this was the moment for lemon drops. But I say, even if you know who has gone, my dear professor, surely such a sensible person as yourself can call him by his name, all this you-know-who nonsense for eleven years. I have been trying to persuade people to call it by his proper name. Voldemort. Professor McGonagall flinched, but Dumbledore, who was unsinging two lemon drops, seemed not to notice. It all gets so confusing if we keep saying you-know-who. I've never seen any reason to be frightened of Voldemort's name. I know you haven't, said Professor McGonagall, sounding half exasperated, half admiring. But you're different. Everyone knows you're the only one you know. Oh, all right. Voldemort was frightened, though. You flatter me, said Dumbledore calmly. Voldemort had powers I will never have only because you're too, well, noble to use them. It's lucky it's dark. I haven't blushed so much, much since Madame Pomfrey told me she liked my new earmuffs. Professor McGonagall shot a sharp look at Dumbledore and said, I was on nothing next to the rumours that are flying around. You know what's everyone, what everyone's saying about why he's disappeared, about what finally stopped him? It seemed that 
Professor McGonagall had reached the point she was most anxious to discuss. The real reason she had been waiting on a cold, hard wall all day. But neither as a cat nor as a woman had she fixed Dumbledore with such a piercing stare as she did now. It's plain that whatever everyone was saying, she was not going to believe it until Dumbledore told it it was true. Dumbledore, however, was choosing another lemon drop and did not answer. What they're saying, she pressed on, is that last night, Voldemort turned up in Goldrick's tunnel. He went to find the Potters. Three years back, Lily and James Potter. Um, that they're dead. Professor Dumbledore bowed his head. Professor McGonagall gasped. Lily and James! Can't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. Well, this Dumbledore reached out and patted her on the shoulder. I know, I know, he said heavily. Professor McGonagall's voice trembled as she wrote. That's not all. They said he tried to kill the potter's son, Harry, but he couldn't. He couldn't kill that little boy. No one knows why or how you're saying that when he couldn't kill Harry Potter. Voldemort's power somehow broke. That's why he's gone. Professor Dumbledore nodded clumsily. It's, it's true? faltered Professor McGonagall. To all he's done after all the people he killed, he couldn't stop a little boy. It's astounding. All the things to stop him. But how in the name of heaven did Harry survive? We can only guess. I never know, said Dumbledore. Professor McGonagall pulled out a lace handkerchief and dabbed her eyes beneath her spectacles. Professor Dumbledore gave a great sniff as he took a golden watch from his pocket and examined it. It's a very old watch, with twelve hands but no numbers. Instead, little planets were moving around the edge. Must have made sense to Dumbledore, though. He put it back in his pocket and said, Hogwarts late. Suppose it was he who told you I'd be here, by the way? Yes, said Professor McGonagall. I didn't suppose you were going to tell me why you're here in all places. I've come to bring Harry to his aunt and uncle. They're the only family he had left now. You don't mean. You can't mean the people who live here, cried Professor McGonagall, jumping to his feet and pointing at her feet and pointing at Privet Four. Number four. Dumbledore, you can't. I've been watching them all day. You can't find two people who are less like us. And they've got this son, I saw King and mother all the way up the street screaming for sweets. Harry Potter, come and live here. It's the best place for him, said Dumbledore firmly. His aunt and uncle will be able to explain everything to him when he's older. I've written a letter. A letter, Professor McGonagall faintly, sitting back down in the room. Really, Dumbledore, you you think you can explain all of this in a letter? These people will never understand him. He'll be famous, a legend. I wouldn't be surprised if they were known as Harry Potter Day in the future. There will be books written about Harry. Every child in our world will know his name. Exactly, said Dumbledore, looking over looking very seriously over the top of his half-moon glasses. would be enough to turn any boy's head. <clears throat> Famous before he can walk and talk. Famous 
something he won't even remember. Can't you see how much better off he'll be growing up away from all of that until he's ready to take it? Professor McGonagall opened her mouth, changed her mind, swallowed, and then said, Yes, yes, you're right, of course, but how is the boy getting here, Dumbledore? He had his cloak suddenly as though he might be hiding Harry underneath it. Hagrid's bringing him. You think it wise to trust Hagrid with something as important as this? I would trust Hagrid with my life, said Dumbledore. I'm not saying his heart isn't in the right place, said Professor McGonagall grudgingly. But you can't pretend he's not careless. Just tend to. What was that? Low rumbling sound had broken the silence around them. It grew steadier, steadily louder as they looked up and down the street for some sign of the headlight. It swelled to a roar as they both looked up at the sky, and a huge motorcycle fell out of the air and landed on the road right in front of them. The motorcycle was huge. It was nothing for the man sitting astride it. He was almost twice as tall as a normal man and at least five times as wide. He looked simply too big to be allowed and so wild. Long tangles of bushy black hair and beard him mowed most of his face. He had hands the size of trash can lids and in his feet there were leather... Ugh, shoot. And his feet in their leather boots were like baby dolphins in his back. Muscular arms, he was holding a bundle of blankets. Hagrid, said Dumbledore, sounding relieved. At last, where did you get that motorcycle? Borrowed it, Professor Dumbledore, sir. Borrowed it, Professor Dumbledore, sir, said the giant, climbing carefully off the motorcycle as he spoke. Young Sirius Black lent it to me. I've got him, sir. No problems were there? No, sir. House was almost destroyed, but I caught him out. All right, before the monkles started swarming around. He fell fast asleep as we were flying over Bristol. Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall bent over the bundle of blankets. Inside, just visible, was a baby boy half asleep. Under a tuft of jet black hair over his forehead, they could see a curiously shaped cut, like a bolt of lightning. Is that square? whispered Professor McGonagall. Yes, said Dumbledore. He'll have that scar forever. Couldn't you do something about it, Dumbledore? Even if I could, I wouldn't. Scars can come in handy. I have one above my left knee that is a perfect map of the London Underground. Well, give him here, Hagrid. We'd better get this over with. Dumbledore took Harry in his arms and turned toward the Dursley's house. Can I, I say goodbye to him, sir? asked Hagrid. He bent his great shaggy head over Harry and gave him what a minute. Must have been a very scratchy, whiskery kiss. Um, then suddenly Hagrid let out a howl like a wounded dog. Shh, hissed Professor McGonagall. You'll wake the muggles. Sorry, sobbed Hagrid, taking out the large spotted handkerchief and burying his face in it. But I can't stand it. Lillian James dead. Poor little Harry ought to live with muggles. Yes, yes, it's all very sad, but get a grip on yourself, Hagrid. We be fat. We'll be found, Professor McGonagall whispered, patting 
Hagrid gingerly on the arm as Dumbledore stepped over the low garden wall and walked to the front door. He laid Harry gently on the doorstep, took out a letter from his cloak and tucked it tightly inside Harry's blanket, and then came back to the other two. For a full minute, three of them stood and looked at the little bundle. Hagrid's shoulders shook. Professor McGonagall blinked furiously, and the twinkling light that usually shone from Dumbledore's eyes seemed to have gone out. Well, said Dumbledore firmly, that's that. We've no business staying here. You might as well go and join the celebrations. Yup, said Hagrid in a very muffled voice. I best get this bike away. Good night, Professor McGonagall, Professor Dumbledore said. Wiping his streaming eyes on his jacket sleeve, Hagrid swung himself onto the motorcycle and kicked the engine into life. With a roar, it rose into the air and off into the night. I shall see you soon, I expect, Professor McGonagall, said Dumbledore nodding to her. Professor McGonagall blew her nose in reply. Dumbledore turned and walked back down the street. Oh, on the corner, he stopped and took out the silver put-outer. He clicked it once, and twelve balls of light sped back to their street lamps. The privet drive glowed suddenly orange, and he could make out a tabby cat sinking around the corner at the other end of the street. He could just see the, a bundle of blankets on the doorstep of number four. Good luck, Harry. He murmured. He turned on his heel, and with the squish of his cloak, he was gone. A breeze ruffled the neat hedges of privet drive, which blazed silent and tiny. Under the inky sky, the very last place you expect astonishing things to happen. Harry Potter rolled over inside of his blanket without waking up. One small hand closed on the letter beside him, and he slept on, not knowing he was special, not knowing he was famous, not knowing he would be woken in a few hours' time by Mrs. Dursley's scream as she opened the front door to put out the milk bottles, nor that he would spend the next few weeks be being prodded and pinched by his cousin Dudley. He couldn't know that at this very moment, people meeting in secret all over the countries were holding up their glasses and saying in hushed voices, to Harry Potter, the boy who lived. Thank you for listening to this episode of my podcast, and goodbye. Alright, so this episode has recently been updated because I did the first chapter of the book, I did all the other stuff, but I forgot to do the review itself, so here we are. So, Harry Potter, an amazing series about a boy who vanquished a dark lord, and I loved it, and I think you will love it too, if you just get into it. The next chapter is Chapter 2, The Vanishing Glass, and I think I'm going to read that on my podcast in our next episode. Uh, so look out for that one. It's probably coming today. Uh, thank you for listening to my podcast and goodbye.